1: What is up, everybody? Before we get started today, we wanted to open the podcast extending our thoughts out to anybody in the UNC community affected by the shooting that occurred on campus Monday afternoon. If you're listening to this pro- podcast, it, it probably means that you have some kind of affiliation to the school, whether you're currently there now as a student, or you're an alum, or you're a parent of somebody that went to Carolina, or just a fan. It, it's scary anytime uh, a senseless tragedy hits this close to a place that we all call home um so again just thoughts out to everybody affected shifting to the podcasts and and why you're tuning in Welcome in to Shot and Vip, the first episode of a new podcast this football season brought to you by Inside Carolina. Co-hosting this, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman and teammate, Jeff Shotmer. Shotman, it's great to see you. How are you doing today?
0: Vip, it's a pleasure, man. Uh, you've done some tremendous work over the years for Inside Carolina, and I know you're a fan favorite, so... Hopefully you can help me kind of raise my stock a little bit. Uh, You know, I had fun with Ross last year, but I guess he's he's on to bigger and better things nowadays and moving to Michigan. So I I got the blessing to be able to have you as my co-host and uh, looking forward to it.
1: It's a funny thing that you say I have to help prop you up when, you know, your your snap (laughs) count was probably... I don't. I don't even know if there's a. I was gonna say like quadrupled, but that wouldn't even make sense because, because hey. of how much you played it and how much you did in your time as a as a Carolina football player. Our our on field accolades, you you have me beat. So I'm happy to prop you up any way you need.
0: Look, you were a two sport athlete at Carolina. I don't. I don't got that going for me. <laughs> Every, if everybody didn't know, Vip, Vip ran track before he was on the football team. So yeah, two sport ACC athlete.
1: Little known fact, but. Shada, as we get ready for Week One, this is a time where where teams are running through the mock game scenarios. You you remember those times for coaches to get that extra preparation and make it feel like their teams are are prepared for every situation that kind of comes their way. You have the walkthroughs, the podcast industry. This week, we were no different. I want you to I want you to peel back the fourth wall and tell people what happened. Much much to my chagrin.
0: Guys, so we recorded this initial podcast Sunday night and uh, we were trying to get ahead of it. So, you know, our listeners would have something to listen to Monday morning on the way to work, on their workout, whatever they were doing on their commute. And we get in about an hour of the podcast and we finish it and I text Vip and I was like, hey, how long did we uh, record for? And he's like, I forgot to hit the record button, bro. So, you know, we spent an hour just. You know, getting our mock game in, talking about the team and the season, and uh, look, oh. we had to go. We had to go. That was our preseason as well. So, hey, oh. look, we're here now. I see the live record button on, so we should be good to go.
1: I can promise you, I will never make that mistake ever again.
0: Mistakes happen. We just got to correct them. A bit
1: exactly. I went in. I went in the the film room. I checked the tape. Saw what went wrong. We're here to fix it. But we are here this season to talk about Carolina football shot. The UNC team goes to the ACC championship game last year. They, they win nine games for the first time since 2015, where Carolina isn't a program that wins double digit or comes close to winning double digit games. Um, and Mack Brown kind of has this team on that trajectory or has that team feeling that kind of excitement where are you kind of at with expectations for this team as we enter this season?
0: You know, my expectations are high. You know, anytime you got the returning ACC player of the year, Heisman Heisman caliber quarterback and a potential top two draft pick. I mean, the sky's the limit for this team. Um, am I saying we're going to win the national championship? No, but um, I, I do think we are, you know, one of the three best rosters in the ACC and, have a really good chance, and it's up to us as we progress through the season to, you know, get ourselves in that ACC championship game.
1: Yeah, this team's ceiling is their ceiling for a reason. You mentioned him; it's Drake May, Carolina. For for the most part, for over a decade now, has been really fortunate with the quarterbacks that have come through Chapel Hill, outside of a couple of years where you go from T.J. Yates to Bryn to Quees to Mitch Trubisky. You have a couple of down years with Brandon Harris, um, Nathan Elliott, Chaz Surratt, but then you flip it right back with with Sam Howell. And Sam Howell felt like he was the best quarterback in school history. And then Drake May played about two games and kind of took over that mantle from him. This team, as I mentioned, went to the ACC championship game last year. I thought one of the interesting points that EJ Manuel said on that ACC huddle show was that going to the ACC championship, losing, fueled his Florida State team to kind of rebound strong and get back there the next year and kind of finish what they had started. Are you kind of at that level with this team where, for the most part, it, it's ACC championship game appearance or bust?
0: So I really want to say it is, and uh, kind of here's the caveat to that. You know, I think there's a way we could go 11-1, and one, lose to Clemson a tight one, you know, in Clemson and still not make the ACC championship. I don't know all the rules, all the tiebreakers and stuff. And, um, would I consider that a bust, us going 11 and one, losing to Clemson and, you know, not making the ACC championship or whatever? That's not a bust to me. In my opinion, if we don't win 10 regular season games, that's a bust. Um, you know, I i think bare minimum, we should be 10 and two and, uh, hopefully the, the cards, you know, fall how they may and we, we are in the ACC championship, but, um, you know, I I think our roster is too talented. And, and for us to have another generational quarterback at the helm, like we got to win double digit games. And and uh, obviously, Florida State and Clemson are talented rosters. But uh, if we can find a way to sneak in the ACC championship game, you know, who knows what can happen?
1: Yeah, to me, it feels like there's a clear pecking order in the ACC where the, the top two spots, it's some order of Clemson, Florida State, Florida State, Clemson, and then Carolina – for the most part, seems to have that, that third spot going into this season with expectations solidified. So I, I do think, in, in your caveat, if if Carolina misses out on going to the ACC championship game because they're 11-1 and one and that one loss is to Clemson, that's something that I think most fans could stomach and, and realize that the breaks just didn't go their way. And you kind of have to change your expectations on the fly, where, like last year, people are saying, if UNC – if you told somebody before the season, would you sign up for nine wins? Most fans would say yes, but those expectations change pretty quickly when you see that you have the best quarterback in the NCAA, if not the best quarterback, the second best quarterback in the NCAA. And when you're sitting at nine and one finishing with nine wins still um, feels like you, you left a lot on the table. But when when you're looking at this team, you mentioned you think it would be a disappointment if they don't win 10 games for your season predictions where would you kind of have this team's floor and where would you kind of have this team's ceiling
0: well well, now that we're recording this on tuesday of game week and tez walker is still out you know ncaa has not made a ruling uh, or i guess they haven't countered our counter to see if he can play you know i'm without him that's a huge loss he's a true number one acc you know blitnikoff type guy and uh without him he kind of the rest of the guys are going to have to pick up the slack. So without, if Tez Walker doesn't play the season, I'd put our floor at eight and four. I still predict we're going to go 10 and two. Um, honestly, my prediction is Tez Walker is going to get ruled eligible to play. They're going to fly him on a private jet Friday night from Chapel Hill to Charlotte. He's going to walk in with this robe on into the team meeting room led by the strength coach, AJ blue and, and Simon and Dean and all those guys are gonna be playing rap music, the lights are gonna be flickering, and Coach Brown's gonna announce that Tez is playing. So if that happens, look out South Carolina.
1: The closer we get to game day, if the NCAA rules him eligible, the more it serves as a rallying cry for the team and fueling sure. them as motivation. So if if you're telling me Tez Walker gets gets cleared Saturday morning, I'm taking that every time because of uh, the momentum that kind of comes. But you mentioned it, like, what what is the NCAA doing? It, it's almost like there's no sense of urgency, and we're recording this right before 7 o'clock on Tuesday um, night. It's, it's like they don't even know that Carolina has a game on Saturday, and they're like, we'll just get to this when we get to this, for an organization that claims to have the best interests of, of their student-athletes in mind.
0: It, I completely agree it's like they're still on summer vacation like at least come out and say no Tez Walker is not playing you know because we we gave a counter to them ruling him ineligible so at least acknowledge that that's just common courtesy. What do I know but anyway
1: yeah and I, I feel for Tez because he's practicing with this level of uncertainty for something that is seemingly out of his control the rules change after he enrolls there and He's practicing not knowing if what all the work he's putting in is for not. And, uh, you know, I, I just feel for him when that's something that it's a situation completely out of out of his control right now. But when for this Carolina team this year, we kind of mentioned where where their floor is, where their ceiling could be. When you're looking at the offense, where would you have Carolina's best offensive unit Heading into 2023.
0: Well, the common person that knows <clears throat> nothing about Carolina football other than Drake May, they would obviously say quarterback's the strongest position. But, you know, since Drake's only one guy and we really have unproven backups behind him, I'm going to go with the tight end unit. Uh, look, Kamari Morales has the most touchdowns by a tight end in Carolina history. He's returning for his fifth year. Bryson Nesbitt, who was this rising superstar last year, this dynamic pass catcher, you know, that everyone thought he was going to be uh, all ACC this year. He's back. And then and then the, the story of the offseason is John Copenhaver. John Copenhaver was represented by, he went to ACC Media Days. To get that honor and not even be a starter the last two years is a huge honor. So that shows how good the coaching staff thinks he is. You know, those three really complement each other. You know, Kamari's kind of the can do it all, Bryson's more of the pass catcher, the, the true you know, 2023 hybrid that you can flex out wide and become a mismatch in the passing game. And Copenhaver from, from everything I've heard from the staff is he does it all. He's tough as hell. He blocks really well. He's smart. He can, he can catch and run after the catch, you know? So those three guys are all, could all start damn near anywhere in the ACC. And we got three guys that can potentially be in the, you know, postseason all ACC team. So I, I'm going to have to give it to tight ends as our strongest unit.
1: Yeah. With the exception of of Drake May, because you look at his video game like numbers, he's going to factor into the Heisman race, and we we have content to fill out, so we can't just say Drake May and move on. I would agree with you. It's the tight ends, and I think you hit on why it's the tight ends. Not only are they talented, but their abilities to complement each other, where you have Nesbitt as that receiving threat. You have Morales, who has been a, a great red zone threat. Uh, Copenhaver brings in the blocking and, and he's grown as a complete tight end. How do you think Carolina can, can kind of be creative maybe with different formations or, or different packages to where, you know, you don't have to look at it as we just have one tight end, or we have to pick one of those guys where maybe, maybe we can see packages where, where there's two tight ends or, or even three tight ends.
0: What I'm hoping is, look, Freddie Kitchens is their tight ends coach. He was an NFL head coach. He's been in the NFL for a long time. And what does the NFL do? They run a lot of two and three tight end uh, packages. So hey, Freddie should put his foot on the table and say, I got three of the best players on our offense. Let's get them in the game and get them in the game together. Um, obviously, you know, we can put all three of them in the game and flex out Bryce and Nesbitt out wide into a receiver, in a receiver stance and – this little cornerback's gonna have to go cover 6'6 Bryson, who runs as well as most receivers. You know, look, we can, you know, put them all in the run game and 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 play smash mouth football with with Hampton and British Brooks back there. Like there's so many things we can do, and I want our offensive staff to get creative. You know, um, look, I'm excited to see it unfold on Saturday. And I would be disappointed if we don't see at least two tight ends in the game, 50% of the snaps. That's that's what I think.
1: Yeah, that, that would be a good benchmark, I think. And, and that was one of the critiques of, um, when Phil Longo was the offensive coordinator, a, a lack of creativity. And I think you've seen more of that, or the talks have been about more of that, where you have multiple packages for multiple tight ends. Um, they're, they're trying different things out where they're, they're moving the pocket and and shifting drake may around and not just making him a stationary target to try to cut back on some of those sack numbers also on the depth chart you see somebody like george Petaway listed as a slot receiver in addition to um him at tailback where it's like he is such a good athlete there has to be ways that carolina can maximize his talent and that kind of that kind of leads me to the question mark of the offense if the tight ends are the strongest part for this team, where would you have the biggest question?
0: So I think in the offseason, a lot of people would say receivers is going to be one of our strengths, but I think it's the biggest question mark heading into the season, especially with you know the the news of Tez Walker. You know when I when I saw the depth chart drop, and the first thing I noticed was Kobe Pace Sowers was listed as an or with Nate McCall. If you know anything about depth charts, you know that the first person listed in an or category, he's the starter. They're just putting the or as, you know, I, I don't even know the word for it. But, you know, everyone in this offseason was talking about how Nate McCollum is this proven guy in the ACC, but either that's him taking a step back or it's Kobe Paceauer elevating his game in the offseason. But if you look at, if you look at our returning receiving numbers from last year, the uh, the guy that had the most catches was Bryson Nesbitt, who's a tight end. And then you go down the list Kobe and Gavin Blackwell and Andre Green and JJ Jones. Like, none of those guys have more than 30 catches. And the, and the problem with me is if Tez Walker can't play the whole year, he's the only true, legitimate number one we have. He's the only one that can weaken, say, go flex out there and you can beat any corner in the, in the country. You know, none of those other guys, I don't think, have proven yet that they have the skill set i'm hoping they do and coach galloway's developed into that but you know a bunch of these guys are 20 30 catch guys and none of them have been a true number one so i'm excited to see who steps up and you know who who becomes drake's target you know we we lose josh and antoine and that's i don't know 150 catches between the two so there's got a lot of a, a lot of production that needs to be you know the slack needs to be picked up so uh, obviously challenging those guys to see who can step up. But that, that's my
1: biggest question mark heading into the season. Yeah, I've I've seen fans kind of say if Tez Walker can't play, then you have to have that like next man up mentality. And, and while I do agree with that, I think they're also not taking into consideration just how far the drop off is between Tez Walker and whoever that next person up. At receiver is whether it's Gavin Blackwell, uh, JJ Jones, Andre Green Jr. And that and that's not a knock on any of those young receivers. That's Tez Walker being a, a Bolitnikoff award watch list receiver. Carolina this offseason went out and they needed to go out and get wide receivers for Drake May, proven receivers, not like let's go into the season and find out what we have with somebody that had three catches. And for both sides, I I think that that was the best case scenario. One, you don't want to put your receivers in, in situations that they're not ready for. And you want to get Drake made the best receivers possible because, again, this is all about capitalizing on the window of having the best quarterback in school history. If it wasn't the receivers, I was going to say the offensive line, which is a crazy thing to say when you do have four starters back along the offensive line. You bring in somebody like Willie Lampkin, who on the depth chart was listed starting at guard. There's over 137 career snaps or 137 career starts on the offensive line. Where are you kind of at with this offensive line? And for, for most of the, the talk of training camp has kind of been about them not really living up to expectations of, of their new offensive line coach.
0: Well, hopefully that means our defensive line was whooping ass in practice and they finally live up to their potential. Hopefully that's what it means. <laughs> um, but you know what? You can't substitute uh, game reps as an offensive lineman, you know, and, and, and that's the first number that jumps out to me with our guys is I think every, every one of the starting five is, is either a senior or they're a graduate student. So, you know, they've experienced a lot of football, You know, Corey Gaynor, who's our center who makes all the calls and checks and is right in the middle. You know, I think it's his seventh year of college football. He's seen it all. He's damn near older than the GA, I bet. Um,
1: It's a crazy thing to say, seventh year.
0: Seventh year. And, you know, that's, I guess, the new norm in college football. It's either you leave after two, two and a half years or you stay for seven, no in between. Um, But, you know, starting with him, and, and I think, I think the the guard, the transfer from Coastal Carolina, is going to end up being our best offensive lineman. Right guard, you know, I, yep. yeah, right guard. I've heard he's, you know, he's, he's he doesn't look good coming off the bus, but he he's low. He plays like a bulldog. He's got athletic athletic ability. He can move. He's tough. He's got great hand placement, and he just gets the job done. You know, an offensive line. It doesn't necessarily it doesn't matter how it looks as long as you get it done. And if you can create space, and you know allow our stud running backs to find some holes, then, you know, we should be okay. Um, And then, you know, I think the big question mark is going to be left tackle, you know, William Barnes, who has played a bunch of football for Carolina, but obviously not at the left tackle position, but very highly rated kid coming out of high school. And look, it's, it's your time to earn your scholarship, bro. Like let's go block, uh, block for, you can make yourself some money. If you want to get, look if There's you going to be
1: you, a ton of scouts watching this team,
0: if, if you protect Drake May, you can work yourself into the top three rounds because every scout, every GM, everyone in the country is going to be watching him every drop back. So you're going to get evaluated better than anyone in the country.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned Willie Lampkin, and I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching for as this season kind of goes on is how does his size or his lack of size at, at 5'11". Um, how does that look in the ACC? Because yeah. I, I think that is a, a fair concern where, you know, you're you're not playing group of five football anymore and you're up against these massive D tackles on, on a game-to-game basis and, and see how that could kind of wear on you. Switching sides, the best unit on defense. I think I think we're going to be in agreement here on the best defensive unit, especially with your background and your predictions. But where would you say the heart of this Carolina defense is? Where are they at their strongest?
0: With without a doubt, it's the linebackers. And if you even want to separate it from inside to outside, you know I'd say the inside is the heart and soul of the defense. And damn near the team, you know, Power Echols and Cedric Gray are everything you you want in, in your modern day college linebackers. Uh, they're tough. They can blitz. They can tackle. They can cover. They're leaders. They they practice hard. They rally the guys around them. I mean, they're I can't say enough good things. And I'm going to rehash what I said this time last year about power or uh, Cedric Gray, about him being all ACC after, you know, after last year. And look what he did. He went first team all ACC, led the conference in tackles, all American projected top two round pick. So I think uh, shots a lock was pretty good last year. Um, and I haven't even gotten into our outside backers, which are kamen Rucker and Amari Gainer. Uh, I mean, those guys. Everyone's been raving about them all camp. You know, Rucker's finally out to his his true probably skill set as a pass rusher. You know, through his first couple years, he would play four I five technique. We'd bump him into three. You know, he was kind of playing all over the line just because he's a versatile guy. But now we're really telling him this year to to get on the edge. Go rush the passer. That's how you make your money. That's how you earn your NIL money, bro, because I know you're getting some. <laughs> and and if, if we're on the prediction train, my prediction for the outside linebacker room is that between Amari Gaynor and Kamen Rucker, that they're going to have 12, 12 or more sacks, whether it's eight by Rucker and four by Gaynor or six and six or whatever it is. you know, is. I'm pre- predicting 12 sacks out of that room. And if we can get that, then that'll really bolster our defense and allow us to do other things. But uh, best defensive unit, without a doubt, is is the linebackers.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. Power said uh, you have Amari Campbell, who has kind of stepped up into that third uh, linebacker position. Uh, as a depth guy, where last year Cedric Ray and Power Echols played 95 and 90 percent of, of snaps, respectively, we know if those two are healthy, Coach Chiswick is going to lean heavily on those two guys. And that was a question I kind of had for you. Um, we talk about like Power Echols played 90 percent of snaps, or, or Cedric Ray played 95 percent of snaps. I, is that a problem or? like that, that doesn't seem too far out of the norm for me with, with how vocal your linebackers are supposed to be and, and how important they are to the overall success of the, of the defense.
0: So here's, here's kind of why I, the argument I have. So if you look to the NFL, you know, most of the games are probably 10 to 12 plays less, but the starting linebackers are playing a hundred percent of the snaps, just like the DBs are essentially they're playing all the snaps I think in the games that are close, you know, one possession, two possession games, Power and said should play 95% of the snaps. Where we need to give them rest is 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 the games where where we can get up 30 points in the third quarter and let the young guys go hunt. You know, so that'll that'll over the course of the season reduce their numbers and take the take the hits off of them, but if if we're playing Clemson on the road, I want Power and said in there 99% of the snaps. I mean, th- those are your two best best players on defense your two biggest difference makers they can handle it those guys are as conditioned as anybody um as a linebacker you get into the rhythm of the game when you get when you get taken out of the game it's you kind of get out of rhythm a little bit and those guys those guys are in in good enough condition that they can play you know 90 plus percent of the stats against uh, the when the game is in hand you know when when the game is out of hand and there's you know it's a blowout then yeah get them out of the game let, let, the, let the young guys go play the whole second
1: half. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner, the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Okay. Now, it is a do, do- average 29 and 11. It. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win subscribe to point forward the podcast so you don't miss a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more about them playing meaningful snaps versus just not overall uh the the snap numbers and I, I think one thing we should probably emphasize is a lot of a lot of Carolina fans could look at the overall defensive numbers and kind of just dismiss the defense as a whole when they're last in the ACC in total defense, last in the ACC in scoring defense, last in sacks but i, I think I, I don't want to undersell the importance or just how good somebody like Cedric Ray is, where if you take him off that defense, they they become essentially unwatchable. Um, Here
0: I got one more point to that and and thank you for allowing me to speak up, Vip. Um, all right, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this podcast watch the Carolina Panthers when Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis were playing. Imagine a game that's in, you know, say it's a one possession game and they're playing the New Orleans Saints, and there's a series in the third quarter where Luke, Luke Kuechly or Thomas Davis is on the sideline. The whole fan, the whole fan, the whole stadium would go nuts. Like that's what we have. I'm not saying power and center, or Luke and, and Thomas Davis, but those guys should never come off the field. So we shouldn't have a problem with them playing, you know, ninety plus percent of the snaps all year. So that that's all I'm gonna say about that.
1: So if if these guys are are the strength of the defense and the heart of the defense, wh- where would you the flip side of that? Where where's this big the biggest question mark for this team?
0: To me, the biggest question is the DBs. You know, many people could say the D line, but you know it. We've recruited too well, and there's too much talent there for them to finally not come around. And and I got faith in uh, in those guys and uh, Coach Chiswick to finally you know pull out the best of those guys like miles Murphy. I, I think he can have an all ACC year. Um, but let's switch to the DBs for a second. To me, I think they're the most unproven, even though you have guys like Don Chapman and geo biggers who have played probably 1500 snaps plus in their career. I just don't think they have the, the top end talent. So they're a little unproven in terms of like, I don't think that they can perform up to, you know, 11 and one defense. I, and I don't want to speak bad. Those guys are great players, but I think I think at the end of the year, I think maybe Will Hardy and Stick Lane are the two starting safeties. You know, after the first depth chart, I think you know Ch- Chapman and Biggers were listed as the starters, but I think as the year goes on, I think we might see Hardy and Stick Lane kind of outplay them. Um, and then obviously you switch over to the cornerback position. I think Elijah Huzzy. I mean, he's he had thirty career starts at his old school, so he's he's proven. And he's got a little chip on his shoulder, you know, coming from FCS to FBS. But the other cornerback, Marcus Allen, has only started two times in his career. So uh, that's, you know, to, to be in the ACC and us to, you know, win the ACC championship, if that's what we're expecting, Like that's that's a tough ask. And so that's why I'm just saying they're, they're unproven. You know, the two safeties and, and one of the cornerback positions that I'm like, you know, I, I think our strength is the D-line and the linebackers.
1: If you talk to anybody around the Carolina football program, one of the first names they'll, they'll mention from this offseason um, has been Elijah Huzzy, and he's, he's a name that they think that all Carolina fans should know coming uh, up a level and hopefully being that number one true shutdown corner that that Carolina seemingly hasn't had in quite some time. Um, trying to think back, the, the last time they had a true number one type corner it would probably be like 20 Stewart yeah MJ MJ and and
0: he played a lot of nickelback that year
1: e- even so, Dez, even des I, yeah. I don't I don't know if Carolina's had one cornerback, let alone two that that kind of rivaled uh des Lawrence and uh MJ Stewart uh for me I'll play devil's advocate. it's the defensive line uh they have 16 sacks in the regular season last year, dead last by a, a considerable margin, uh, almost an unfathomable um, uh, number of, of sacks to get over the course of uh, a regular season. They bring in uh, Ted Monacino from the NFL, and he has a ton of experience working with some of the best NFL pass rushers. You mentioned it. They, they've recruited too well along the defensive line where it's like either – these players, we completely missed the mark on, on evaluation, which is seemingly hard to do because it's not like we were, you know, recruiting against group of five schools. We're recruiting with Clemson, Alabama, Georgia's like not, I don't think all those schools missed that much on the evaluations. So it's like at th- at this point, the D line has to perform. And if that D line can be good, it kind of takes off some of that pressure off the secondary where where you do have um, maybe maybe not the the strength that you do recruiting ranking wise that you do have along the defensive line but when you when you have people first guys off the bus guys like Dez Evans uh, Miles Murphy Javari Ritzy, Ritzy.
0: Kevin like, Hester looks like yeah. an NFL three technique I mean you Travis get Shaw
1: yeah Tamari Fox Tamari back. Fox Yeah yeah so for me it, this is the time that the defensive line kind of has to um, step up. But w- when we're we're talking about Carolina football, the the fans, every fan rightfully is worried about that defense. They they see the numbers last year. They see that we've had two defensive coordinators in uh, a, f- a few seasons since Mac Brown has been back. They're they're changing out position coaches. They're bringing in analysts. Why should the the Carolina fan, as we get ready for the South Carolina game on Saturday, be optimistic around this defense?
0: Yeah, I think it starts with, obviously we talked about it, how well we've recruited on the D-line, like it's time for them to finally show up. If you look at Clemson for the last 10 years, how many D-linemen have they had that have gone to the NFL and been successful? That number compared to how many linebackers they've had go to the NFL is insane. Like it's all the D linemen and none of the linebackers. So it shows how big of an impact these D linemen can have on the game. You know, they are so close to the quarterback, you know, they can affect the pass game and the run game almost more than anyone in college. football. I mean, they can more than anyone in the defense, obviously, but I think behind quarterback, they're the number one most important thing that you need to have in college football. So I think if we can harness their talent and get them going that's a huge win for us. I mean, we already have two proven commodities at linebacker. You don't have to worry about those guys. Those are plug and play. Just go do your thing. Don't mess it up. And they're all ACC selections. And then obviously I said that the secondary, I think is the biggest question mark, but I think there's more cohesiveness in that unit. Um, you know, Jason Jones reunites with Charlton Warren. They were both together at, at Indiana. So hopefully they can clean up some of the mental errors that we had last year. But um, you know, I, I was looking at TCU last year. They went to the national championship game and they averaged their defense averaged about 25 points a game. You know, if our, if our defense can get to that level, you know, drop five or six points a game, you know, put us in top 50 60 in the country, then we should win 10 plus 10 games minimum. You know, obviously, you know, let up 25 a game. I'm expecting our offense to score 35 a game. We get some, a lot more, you know, turnovers and we get sacks, you know, our defense can look pretty good.
1: When, when you were on the Carolina defense going into the 2015 season, the, the 2014 season, defensively awful, horrific, awful. awful.
0: <laughs> I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there was a lot of miscommunication.
1: Yeah. It, it just, it just was not good. Um, any, any sense of, of, the imagination, that defense was not good. What was it like for you going into the 2015 season where you knew you were paired with an offense that could roll out of bed and score 40 and 50 points and that for the team to have success, it was really on the defense and getting those timely kind of stops.
0: And here's the good part for us in that year. We knew our offense was going to score. So when our offense, all we have to do is get a couple of stops and turnovers our offense scores they're up 14 to nothing. So what, is the, what does the the opposing offense have to do? Well, they have to throw the ball. So what we were really good at that year was playing pass defense. All week in practice, we would do pattern matching and and all these different pass concepts where we were really good. We knew exactly where to be in the pass game. I think we had 15 plus interceptions that year, which was top 10 in the country. We played, you know, timely defense. We situational awareness, we were good. We got turnovers. Uh, We were a good second-half defense. So, I mean, granted, we weren't good against the run, but, like, the things that we were good at, we were really good at. And I think that's kind of what our defense has to – the mantra they have to adopt this year is they weren't good at anything last year. They didn't hang their hat on turnovers. They didn't hang their hat on rush defense, pass defense. All of it was garbage. So I think to to take the baby steps to get better as a defense is find two or three things that you're going to be really good at, whether that's pass rushing run defense, pass defense, like you got to excel in something. And that's what I'm hoping our, our, our our team and our defensive staff kind of figures out and channels because, you know, we were just average to below average to the worst in the country at every category. So that's got to get fixed.
1: Yeah. Fans would love to see that defensively, offensively. One of the things that they're kind of looking out for this season is a more balanced attack. And, not going into every week, basically begging Drake May to save you and be the one who determines whether Carolina wins or loses. They bring in a new offensive coordinator, Chip Lindsey. Randy Clement comes. And the talk this offseason has been about having more of an emphasis running the ball. It's, it's one thing to run the ball when you want to run the ball, but when the other team knows you're going to run the ball, you still have to be able to run the ball. And I think that's why Carolina – has really struggled in the red zone and they're looking to clean that up last season. What do you think that run game looks like, especially when you look at uh, a very crowded backfield with British Brooks, um, George Petaway, uh, Omari Man- Hampton, Elijah Green, Caleb Hood. Caleb like, Hood. There, there are a ton of names. And how do you kind of see this shaking out?
0: So, I think the two, I mean, obviously the depth chart's been released, but the two most talented and proven guys are British and and Hampton. You know, I think those guys, it's going to be the one-two punch. And obviously we have, you know, Caleb and Elijah, who have played really well for us at times, who can come in and spell those guys, you know, when needed. But I think Brooks and Hampton deserve most of the carries. And what I want to see is us consistently run the ball well more in terms of, you know, last year we would, we would have runs of one, two, four, minus one, and then we'd pop a 50 yarder. And so that skews the average, you know, that our average becomes a lot higher than it looks because, you know, you pop that one 50 yard run. I want to see us consistently getting five, six, seven yards of rush and, and knocking defensive linemen off the ball, creating holes for the for the running backs to fill and and kind of doing that way. I, I think of two specific examples for me one was the dreaded 2021 Georgia Tech game where we lose at Georgia Tech. I remember we have a, a series where it's second and one. We run the ball. We don't get a yard. We get a tackle for no gain. Third and one, same thing, TFL. And then we go for it on fourth and one, and we run three straight times and can't get a yard. And that was the most frustrating thing for me because I know how hard that is as a defensive player is to stop a one-yard game you know, that's so hard to do it three times in a row in the middle of the field. And that was a product of our play calling, our offensive line, just so much issues. And so what I want to see is instead of the trunk plays, which are great, I want to see us consistently being able to line up in 12 personnel or 11 personnel, run inside zone, three straight plays and get five, six, seven yards a pop.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's something a lot of people want to see. That, that element of toughness and being able to run the ball when everybody knows you're going to run the ball and having the confidence in your guys to get two yards, three yards um, consistently when you need it. And, and that should help um, Carolina close out games and, and kind of put teams away with that separation and with having a quarterback and with having the playmakers that Carolina does have. But to to close out the podcast, I want to shift our focus to this Saturday. We're playing South Carolina in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. I want you to put your coach hat on for a second. Tez Walker, we, we still don't have an update on him. How would you handle the Tez Walker situation as you go into game week? Since he, he's still been running with the ones with the hope that the the NCAA rules on his side with his appeal.
0: So kind of how a college practice works is, you know, there's indie periods, there's seven on periods, and then there's like the scout team periods. Once you get into the game week, I think we should allow Tez, obviously he's going to do indie drills with the receivers. I'd allow him to get some seven on reps, but once the team period comes around where they're, you know, running plays against the scouts that he's not in there, you know, it's Tuesday of game week, he's not eligible. So let's not waste our time with him. You know, I, I think this week we could see, like like we talked about earlier in the podcast, more twelve personnel, more thirteen personnel. Maybe Bryson Nesbitt flexed out as a wide receiver some. Um, but at this point you can't you can't um you know give valuable reps to Tez because you got other guys, especially unproven guys, to to get reps for.
1: Yeah, that that chemistry with Drake is something that they're gonna have to hope matriculates during the week and, and something that they have to hope they see during this week. And, and I think you're 100% right where you can't really give Tez Walker that many team reps one, because you need those guys up to speed. And two, I don't think you could give him those reps because you almost have to plan for him not to play at this point. And if he, if it is a, a, a great surprise and he's able to play on Saturday, he's had enough reps and he's a good enough receiver, a great enough receiver to where Not having, you know, team reps uh, on the Tuesday or Wednesday in the lead up to the game won't make as much of an impact as not getting some of those younger guys, those meaningful reps. Looking at at this game um, from a betting angle, UNC is is minus two and a half. I have to admit, I I was surprised seeing that uh, with South Carolina winning seven of the last nine meetings. How much stock would you put into the last two times these teams played where South Carolina wins the Mayo Bowl by 17 as an 11-point underdog and, and just ran Carolina off the field? Yeah, I think
0: uh, Coach Brown and Coach Beamer put more stock into that game than the players. I think the roster has had a lot of turnover. You know, South Carolina started a Wildcat quarterback who's, I think, now a receiver, and Drake wasn't starting, but I think it's Coach Brown has vengeance out to get Coach Beamer because that was, you know, his first season as a head coach and and he embarrassed him in the bowl game when they're big underdogs. But, um, you know, I I think this game is more about, um, you know, Drake leading his team, you know, coming, you know, obviously he came back, he had to, but he's playing in his hometown in front of his family for the flagship school in the state in charlotte against a huge sec opponent and and this is this is everything the may family and drake dreamed of since he was four years old you know this is like you couldn't write a better script to start a season um and then hopefully we finish it in charlotte as well but i mean this is a this is the drake may show and it's going to be the drake may show all year and uh you know look if if tez walker plays i think unc is going to win the game uh so that's that's kind of my prediction. And you heard my prediction earlier in the podcast where I think Tez is gonna, you know, get cleared and we're gonna be uh <laughs> gun, guns blazing, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, my my biggest worry with this game, if, if I had to if I had to predict this game and fans will hear it probably more in depth on, on the round table prediction show that Inside Carolina does. Um but I'm basically I'm basically in the camp where I have to see the Carolina defense be good before I can believe that they're actually good. And I know South Carolina only returns 10 starters this year. And I, I don't think Spencer Rattler is a great quarterback, but he, he's, he was a good enough quarterback last year to finish the season with a a win versus number five, Tennessee. Then they go on the road at Clemson and beat number seven or they go on the road to Clemson and beat number seven Clemson and then in the bowl game against Notre Dame they go toe to toe and get in a shootout and lose by by one score but with what South Carolina has I, I do think they have enough pieces they have a good coaching staff they have the the advantage of being in those big games where you're looking around for for Carolina's signature win and you know there there isn't Uh, beating a number seven team there isn't beating a five team let alone doing that in in back-to-back weeks Uh, but playing devil's advocate to myself Carolina has Drake May and (laughs) when you have Drake May it feels like you're going to be in every game so if Carolina was to win this game let's say we're we're talking about this podcast people are listening to our show when it normally comes out on Monday and not when it comes out, uh, this Wednesday, because I forgot to press record. (laughs) What, what were the keys to the game and how did Carolina get over, get over the finish line and and come back to Chapel Hill with a win?
0: Yeah, I think especially in these opening games, I think more of these games are lost rather than they're won. And I think the three things that we're going to see are penalties, turnovers, and special teams play. Um, yeah, I'm putting on my coach hat and having this coach speak, but penalties are a huge key to the game, especially in these openers when we haven't, you know, there haven't been live bullets. You know, there's obviously referees at practice and they track penalties and whatnot, but when you're going against a different opponent Saturday night, college game day, you know, um, you never know what can happen. I think Drake May has done a great job of protecting the ball. Um, he had a little bit of fumble issues last year, but you know, I think whatever team wins the turnover battle will probably win the game because they're pretty pretty evenly matched teams. Um, and then special teams play. Uh, Shane Beamer has been known to, you know, have some tricks up his sleeves on special teams. You know, I looked at a stat today that the punter for South Carolina has thrown the ball four times. He threw the ball four times last year and had two touchdowns. It's Beamer so, ball. like, so Coach Brown, I know he's got those boys on high alert for fakes and, tricks and, and, and everything else. But, um, I I think we finally have a field goal kicker that can make clutch kicks and, and be very, very reliable because you need that in the opening game. Um, you know, Ryan Coe was 19 to 23 at Cincinnati, played in the college playoff, played some big time football. So I, I got faith in that guy. Um, and I'm hopefully our, our defense can get some turnovers. You know, they weren't able to make turnovers last year. So, I think those are my three keys to the games. So if we can beat them in the penalty uh, battle, the turnover battle, and then you know, have sound special teams and not let up a you know a sixty-yard kickoff or a fake field goal or uh, stuff like that, then I think we'll be in a good position to win this game.
1: Yeah, special teams is such a a, a forgotten phase of football to just the the average fan. Um, not only with with the the four teams, but but your kicking game when we played. We, we saw some not good kickers. Um, when you coached, we, we saw some not good kickers. Carolina has kind of had either a, a really reliable kicker or somebody that you can't really count on. So when we had somebody like Nick Weiler, you know, how, how beneficial do you think that was to our overall team's success and that mindset of like, hey, if this guy's out on the field, like we don't have to worry about it.
0: Absolutely. Shout out to Nick Wyler, Tomahawk Chop. We appreciate you, brother. Still,
1: Casey still, has never, still has never bought a drink in Tallahassee or or yeah. in uh, Gainesville.
0: Yeah. I mean, He's a legend. Nick, Nick's a legend. I mean, Casey Barth before that, Connor Barth. I mean, we've had a, a bunch of good kickers, but uh, I it, it definitely helps the morale of the team when let's say, you know, our, our offense drives 80 yards the length of the field and, you know, for whatever reason we get stopped and we got to we got to kick a field goal on the 10 yard line to come away with points is is just it's a breath of fresh air and 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 the morale is lifted you know if, if you're const- constantly worrying about if our kicker can make a 35 yarder consistently then that's no good because then you're constantly having to go for it more and more on fourth down but i'm a big fan of i'm a big fan of coach brown being aggressive especially with drake may quarterback of, of when it's fourth and four let's go for it drake's Drake's so valuable with his arm or his legs. He's so tall. He sees over everybody that I want my ball. I want the ball in the key moments in Drake's hands. I kind of diverted from kicking to Drake on fourth down. But um, anyway, go ahead. Take the four.
1: I I think, I think you hit on it perfectly coming away with zero points on those long drives is just a demoralizing aspect of the game and and having that kicker that you can kind of have, that confidence and the ability to go out there and win you a game. You don't want to have a kicker where it's like, Oh no, like I have no idea what's about to happen when, when he puts that boot to the, to that football. And when you have somebody like Nick Weiler or like Carolina's hoping that they have with the Cincinnati transfer, is that confidence in them to execute that third phase of football? You had the coaching hat on. I want you to put the betting cap back on to to finish the podcast. Carolina's win total this season is eight and a half. You've mentioned the floor. You've mentioned the ceiling. Push comes to shove. What are you doing with that eight and a half?
0: So I had, you know, shots lock of the year last year. It was lock of the century when it was UNC versus App State. And I think I, you know, made the prediction that UNC minus one was the lock of the century and, Thank God that that hit. Um, my my shots lock of the century, lock of the year is going to be uh, UNC. Can you have two
1: locks of the century?
0: Yeah, I guess. Why not?
1: Maybe a All lock. Right,
0: let's a let's just go lock of the year. Lock of the year is UNC over eight and a half wins. I think, um, you know, Drake may at the helm. There's no way we're getting less than nine wins. We had nine wins last year. That's kind of our floor. Drake the story was already written. This is like going to be etched in Carolina football history. Like he's such that, that may family name is so they're forever. I don't know. We, we love them so much that Drake's going to do great things just like Luke did. And he's going to lead our team to at least nine wins this year and, and help all, all the degenerate gamblers collect their money at the end of the year. if They, you know, they lock the eight and a half over.
1: We will see how that plays out. We'll see if Carolina could get one. This Saturday against South Carolina, uh, 7.30 kick. Pretty sure it's the ESPN-ABC big game. Uh, I will be there in Charlotte. I'm excited to be there. Me and Jeff will be back next week. Hope you enjoyed listening to Shot and Vip. Appreciate everybody who has listened or watched. And, and Jeff, appreciate the time, man.
0: Always a pleasure, Vip. It's going to be a fun year.